You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I'm your host, Kathy Biasse, and I'm a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. The topic of our show today is hypertension. Hypertension is often referred to as the silent killer because oftentimes it may show no symptoms. Consider these statistics from the World Health Organization on hypertension. An estimated 1.28 billion adults aged 30 to 79 worldwide have hypertension. An estimated 46% of adults with hypertension are unaware that they have the condition. Less than half of adults, about 42% with hypertension, are diagnosed and treated. Hypertension is a major cause of premature death worldwide. Speaking with us about this topic is Dr. Jay Shaw. Dr. Shaw has more than 15 years of medical expertise and leadership in healthcare delivery at city general hospitals, to community settings, and to the Mayo Clinic. He has brought his experience and expertise to the Swiss startup Actia to change the paradigm of how the world's most common disease, hypertension, is understood and managed. Also an angel investor and advisor, he is passionate about applying technology to solve practical problems in medicine and believes strongly in the power of positive thinking and collaboration. Some of the topics that we cover include the danger of being hypertensive, the importance of tracking blood pressure, and how recent advancements in health tech are transforming treatment of hypertension and improving patient outcomes. Stay tuned for my conversation with Dr. Shaw. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned, our show today is uh, pre-recorded, so no opportunity for calling in. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. Shaw, welcome to our show. Thanks very much for having me, Kathy. It's great to be here. You, um, you've been a physician for a number of years. Is there a story behind why and how you went down this path in this particular specialty area? Well, I mean, if I think, you know, I'm a cardiologist. So, you know, after having practiced cardiology in the U.S. for over 12 years, uh, I was kind of thinking, 
you know, in different practice settings, but it was always, you know, it was great. And I had great patients and I built, you know, great practices, but I was always trying to think, how could I, you know, expand my reach or ex- take this knowledge that I gained over maybe almost 20 years in medicine now and, you know, deliver that or, or broaden my you know, sort of impact on in medicine or in the world. And, and so I started looking at different types of uh, startups or other larger companies to see how they would utilize um, the skills of someone like me. And as it happens, I found this company called Actia, and that's and that really gave me an a a start in entrepreneurial sort of uh, uh, in the entrepreneurial spirit and also in in, a, in the startup world where. I really could apply all the knowledge that I gained over this many years of cardiology practice into how, you know, into the startup and the company, because it is all entirely focused on how to optimize people's blood pressure. And blood pressure is the primary input into the vast majority of cardiovascular diseases that I had treated for so many years and always, you know, we all struggle with as clinicians. So that's kind of really what led me down this pathway and how I ended up finding Actia. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was sort of a chance, chance meeting. I I didn't really know or expect it. I didn't know of them until I started looking. Hmm, Interesting. Um, I want to definitely get into Actia and the mechanisms of blood pressure measurement, hypertension, everything, but let, let's first pick apart hypertension, blood pressure, get a a really good picture of what that is. Um, and then, you know, we can figure out and see how how clearly um, you've melded the two worlds into into your practice. What exactly is hypertension? So hypertension or high blood pressure is the world's most common disease. And what it is is a dysregulation or an abnorm- abnormality of how your blood vessels, specifically the arteries and small arteries called arterioles, constrict and expand and so commonly referred to as stiffening of the arteries but that's not really what it is it's it's actually a a a maladaptation or dysregulation of how how the arteries expand and contract and so the pressure inside those arteries that then goes into the organs every all organs of our body is abnormally high and abnormally high for long periods of time and so that's what hypertension is. So it's a real disease. It's not just a risk factor. It's a disease or disorder of the blood vessels. And what it leads to is by itself, just a higher pressure in the arteries or arterioles by itself doesn't cause any pain, doesn't do anything immediate. But over time, every organ in the body that gets blood flow from arteries, which is the vast majority of them, is exposed to this higher pressure and they're not designed for that. So for example, the heart, the brain, the kidneys, the eyes, the reproductive organs, the even the pancreas and other organs in the in the body are exposed to this higher pressure and over time that higher pressure starts doing its damage to both the tiny vessels in the organs as well as the cells in the organs themselves and leads to eventual you know, a a number, a laundry list of other disorders that comes from having uh, longstanding high blood pressure. So that's how high, that's what high blood pressure is. And that's how it does its damage. 
Um, okay, so when we're talking about other organs being affected, uh, this might be new for, for people. Um, do you go downstream and then back upstream? So if, if there's somebody that has having a kidney issue or any of the other organs that you mentioned, would you look to hypertension first? Well, generally, it's it's not necessarily hiding. It's usually it's usually pretty easy to find. And and the answer is yes. I mean, so in terms of how how we think about you know primary disorders causing secondary problems in the body is that generally there's a few common disorders that lead to other more significant disorders. So, for example, a heart attack or coronary artery disease, blockages in the arteries of the heart. It can be caused by many, many different things, but by and large, statistically speaking, and it is largely related to things like high blood pressure, which is the most common cause, smoking, you know, high cholesterol, poor diet, diabetes. Those are the very common sort of diseases and disorders that lead to things like heart attack. And so it, it is, you know, by process of elimination, you can very quickly identify one or two or even three major underlying chronic diseases that have led to some 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 event and that's almost always what happens like in real clinical practice when people come in and and let's say they're having some issue or they have a heart attack and i see them in the hospital and then they come back almost invariably after their surgery procedure hospitalization treatment whatever it is and they say well okay doc why did i have this um to put it in common terms and and high blood pressure for cardiovascular diseases, the vast majority of them, high blood pressure is at the top of the list of one of the major reasons that those events occurred. And so it is, you know, not always present, but the vast majority of, of people um, have high blood pressure. Yeah. The, uh, the Okay. Um, is this a disease of aging? Not necessarily. But time has a lot to do with it. So then age becomes a factor. So what happens is that there, high blood pressure very commonly starts in younger ages, 20s, 30s, 40s of life. But it starts silently. You don't feel it. Um, there's no symptoms that are associated with high blood pressure, generally. And in those age ranges, people generally don't go in to see physicians very routinely. They generally aren't checking their blood pressure on a routine basis. So it's just not in the general consciousness that I need to think about this, but that's when it starts. And that is the crucial point about high blood pressure is that it does its damage over time. So if it starts when in your thirties and slow and goes sort of undetected, unchecked, not optimized, not treated, for several decades, that then when somebody has an event, like a heart attack or a stroke or a kidney problem or whatever it is, in their 60s or 70s, they'll ask, well, why did this happen? But the truth is that it the, the underlying reasons that it happened started two, three, four decades ago. And so age, it's not a problem of aging, but but it is a problem of time. And so that is one of the sort of misconceptions of high blood pressure that is very often um it, it goes sort of unchecked for long periods of time and therefore it seems like people who are older have high blood pressure and problems from high blood pressure but actually it started when they were much younger 
Okay, so are there, we, we all know um, specific ranges that we should be in. I think people know, especially as we get older, the ranges we should be in. But then do these ranges change from a younger person to an older person? You know, you go to a doctor, the first thing they do is put a cuff on you. So mm-hmm. you you should have an indication at a yearly physical if you're in the right range. Now, are we, is that range too loose as we're younger, like should the should the range be a little narrower so as to give people an indication that there may be issues down the road? Um, I don't think the eight no, the ranges are pretty pretty clear, pretty clearly set. I mean, it differs slightly from country to country. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you know, as people get older, physicians sort of loosen the range a little bit. Um, but generally, under one hundred and forty over ninety. And remember, we're talking about just a, a range, meaning just a limit, basically. Currently, how it's defined in most, uh, in all expert guidelines, is that your blood pressure b- should be below some number. So, for example, 140 over 90 in most European countries in, in Europe, and um, but in the U.S., it's 130 over 80, or somewhere in between. Sometimes 135 over 85. It's generally one of those three uh, limits. And if you're below that, then that's considered good quote-unquote blood pressure but here's the catch with in the scenario you just described so let's say somebody goes to a physician's office let's say they even go once a year which in a younger population is not necessarily common but let's say they go once a year and they get their blood pressure check once a year and let's say it's 130 over 80 so in the quote-unquote good good you know under that limit at that time when they check their blood pressure with a cuff well a cuff measures your blood pressure at one moment in time but your blood pressure fluctuates continuously, routinely, daily, weekly, monthly. It's constantly changing. So it is not true that one point in time measurement is then reflective of your blood pressure the rest of the year. That's just simply not true. And so what generally the guidelines recommend is that someone to get a real or you know, a more accurate understanding of what someone's blood pressure is, you have to technically take your blood pressure multiple times a day, every single day to understand that trend over some period of time. And even if you do that for a week, it may change three months from now, four months from now, six months from now, a year from now. So the concept of having a quote unquote stable blood pressure that if I checked it once and it looked good, then, then I'm quote unquote fine is totally inaccurate. And what oftentimes the opposite happens. So let's say uh, this happens all the time. Let's say you go in for that once a year physical and your blood pressure is high, 145 over 90, let's say at that moment in time. It is human nature and very common to explain that away somehow. Well, this was just one time. Well, I was stressed today. Well, I had a fight with my spouse or there was a lot of traffic getting here. I drank three cups of coffee and I And I'm a little nervous being here. And so, again, it is poorly reflective of what is their underlying blood pressure. So both the person and the physician in this sort of scenario still is unaware of what what is the real sort of picture of this person's blood pressure. They still don't know. And and so then the physician will often say, well, you should probably check it at home more often. And the person patient says, yeah, okay, I will. And oftentimes they never do. So. It, it really is a, a sort of misunderstanding oftentimes of what the blood pressure is 
because we have these sort of just one point in time snapshots with a cuff reading, and it really is difficult to understand what is uh, the real sort of under you know picture of this continuously changing variable of blood pressure. Well, you know, for anyone who's been in the health system for an illness or disease like myself, um, I go to a doctor and my blood pressure is as soon as I walk in the the door, it spikes. And, um, you know, I had a procedure done and my blood pressure was like 149 over 90. And I said, oh, my God, it's it's never been that high. And she said, just relax. And then I had the procedure done. And after it was done, it was right back down to 120. So, you know, um, it's easy to explain away on the medical side, too. Like I haven't Mm -hmm. often heard Mm -hmm. uh, I've never heard a doctor say to me, you should be checking your blood pressure throughout the day now. I know that blood pressure has a circadian rhythm. I know the blood pressure is impacted by so many different things, but is it actually noted by doctors often to tell their patients this? Well, it's in the guidelines that they should, whether they actually do or not is a different, different story. Um, you know, there's a, there's a desensitization uh, by, by the healthcare system in general, by physicians, by clinical practitioners to high blood pressure. Um, and first of all, it's so common. There's 1.4 billion people in the world. In the U.S., 130 million Americans have it. One in two adults over the age of 65 have high blood pressure. So almost, so the vast majority of people who are interacting with the health system oftentimes will have high blood pressure. It's such a common thing. And, and so, and it is spoken of even as a risk factor, not as a disease but it's a risk factor for heart disease. It's a risk factor for something quote unquote real, but in and of itself is oftentimes given less value or less importance, even though we all know what it is and what it does and what the risks are. So there is a D sort of not purposeful, um, but like a deprioritization of blood pressure. And if people figure physicians figure, well, you know, it's not hurting that person now. I can always start them on medicine later. You know, there's always some 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 sort of thing uh, to sort of say, well, it's not a crucial importance right now. So it it oftentimes happens that way, just just as you described. Um, and same thing for patients. Um, so that's that's it, that, that's what I've found also as a as a physician. You know, we pay attention when someone has something quote unquote serious, but blood pressure. Well, that's that's common. It's so variable that it's not a true reading, I guess, to the doctors when they're there. Um, now, okay, so we talk about high blood pressure, but I just, before we we end this, the first segment of the show, um, is it, you know, we talk about high blood pressure is not something we want, but is having very low blood pressure the, the, the thing we're aiming for? Well, this is one of the things that, that the current guidelines and, and the hypertension community hasn't really um, truly decided. You mentioned a range of blood pressure, but in fact, it's not really the case. We have a limit for the higher end of of quote-unquote normal blood pressure. We don't really have a known lower limit to give us this sort of optimal range. Um, We know that very low blood pressure can carry its own risks, um, but oftentimes people have physiologically low blood pressure, especially younger people, women oftentimes have quite low blood pressure. And it's not necessarily a, a real problem for them. Um, so there isn't really consensus on what is the lower limit, I would say. Um, it hasn't certainly hasn't made into any guidelines or expert recommendations. 
But what we do know in sort of Actia's perspective, our perspective, mine certainly, is that what is most important is that your isn't just that your blood pressure is under a certain limit at one point in time, but more importantly, how consistently is your blood pressure in an optimal range over a long period of time? So not just once, not just one day, not just one week, not even just one month or one year, but year after year after year, how much time do you spend in an optimal range? And that optimal range is that the upper limits might be what is set by the guidelines, 130, 140, over 80 or 90. But that bottom bottom uh, number on the range is yet to be clarified. But we know that there are some rough ideas, maybe 100, 100 millimeters of mercury, 110 millimeters of mercury systolic, and probably 60 millimeters of mercury diastolic. So in between that and the top rank and the top number are the, the upper limit of the range. That's really probably the optimal physiologic range. And just quickly, um, because, I, you know, the, the, the topic is hypertension, but just quickly, because um, just uh, some experience I've seen with other people, symptoms of too low blood pressure can be what? Yeah, extremely low blood pressure can give you generally it's dizziness, lightheadedness, really significant fatigue, uh, feeling like you're going to pass out, sometimes jittery or shaky kind of sensations, blurry vision sometimes, or sort of black spots in your you know in your vision. Um, sometimes people get really sweaty, clammy kind of thing. We've all actually seen this happen when people, uh, let's say, uh, you know, pass out. It, when they're standing in line on a hot day or at a fair or in church or something like that, when you've seen that happen, that person is experiencing a transient significant drop in their blood pressure. And that's why they feel that way. So. Got it. All right. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about treatment of hypertension and, and really get into how we need to accurately and consistently monitor hypertension and well monitor our blood pressure. We'll be right back everybody. You are listening to The Health Hub, here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking about blood pressure hypertension with Dr. Shaw. Dr. Shaw, you were going over some ranges. We talked about things like that. Um, I I read an article a while back that um, there was a a push to have the range narrowed. Um, A lot of people think great blood pressure is like 120 over 80. You talked about ranges 130, 140. Um, how does that, you know, narrowing the range impact treatment for people? Yeah. So, I mean, you have to differentiate between what is optimal physiologic range, which is probably in the 120 over 80 or below um, sort of limit. But that might be optimal physiologic range. But what as physicians, what they're common, like what we're commonly thinking about is what is the limit? at which we would start some pharmacologic intervention, right? And so that's really the focus. So 
Yes, optim- we would love it. If uh, if everyone's blood pressure was at 120 over 80, great. We would have probably so much less death and disease. It'd be amazing. Uh, but what we're fo- faced with is somebody's in the office and their blood pressure is consistently 142 over 88. And the question is, do you start medications on this person after having done lifestyle counseling intervention, et cetera, still the blood pressure. So that's that's what people are focused on in the guidelines and the sort of acceptable ranges. So whether that limit is 140 over 90 or 135 or 85 or 130 over 80, that's really the debate or question. And how do you apply that limit to large populations of people who all might have slightly different conditions, slightly different issues, different medications, different problems, maybe it's not sort of wise to just put a blanket statement and say, well, everyone needs to put this this limit, 130 over 80, and let's let's really get tight control on everybody. Well, I think there has to be some flexibility there for the, the, the vast variety of, of different um, underlying conditions and people. Well, but that's what, might, what we're focused on and talking about, really. Sorry, what might be the danger of just medicating somebody to bring down? Yeah. So here's the catch. And this is what happens with hypertension management. So let's say whatever the range is, let's say you, you put on um, 130 over 80, 135 over 85. And you say, okay, I'm going to start this person on medication. And, and you have a discussion and they agree. And they say, okay, well, let's start. There is no real clear knowledge about how much lower is that particular person's blood pressure going to go with this medication. We have no idea. There's a general likelihood based on pharmacologic studies that it might go down five or 10 millimeters of mercury, but everybody's different. And we have never studied anyone individually, right? We don't know how any one person is going to respond to that medication. So the danger is giving an antihypertensive medication. There are, there are a number of, of risks with med- all medications, but w- what we're talking about is what if you lower the blood pressure too much? Then they might start feeling mild effects like lightheadedness or dizziness or feeling fatigue. Okay, that's relatively low risk. But especially in an elderly person or a frail person or someone who has balance issues, the one of the major risks would be is if the blood pressure goes so low, so much of a decrease that they're feeling lightheaded or dizzy to the point that they fall and they could actually end up having serious injury, head injury, hip fractures, other kind of musculoskeletal injuries that then dramatically affects their quality of life and mobility. That's a real uh, risk. And so we don't know that, how, how people are affected because Oftentimes, people don't check their blood pressure on a routine basis multiple times a day, even those who are, have uh, hypertension and are being treated. Um, and so that's really, it's sort of a, um, oftentimes physicians feel it's a sort of a black box. You say, well, here's this recommendation, go ahead and try it, send me the data, but knowing that most people aren't going to send you any data. Okay, so I mean, obviously, the the elephant in the room is the the accumulation of data for each individual. And hypertension, like every other disease, is an individual disease that must be treated at the individual patient level. Are doctors prepared to take 
somebody's information that they've been taking their blood pressure five times a day over three months. Are doctors confident in those readings? And and are they willing to take all those readings at a regular appointment? Yeah, I would say the answer is yes. I and mean, that's what we expect. Maybe not necessarily five times a day for it's been, but if 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 someone came in and they had, and I had do have some diligent patients who do this, you know, once a day and once in the morning, once in the evening, every day. And they come in with a spreadsheet and they, you know, show it to me. And within just a minute or two, you can very easily and quickly understand the overall trajectory of blood pressure for that person, the trend. What did you, what happened when you started a medication or changed the dose, reduced or increased the dose, or they had some other lifestyle intervention? You can clearly see the cause and effect, but that's the rare person because it is cumbersome, difficult, annoying to, to take blood pressures that often with the traditional cuff that it doesn't happen very often. Um, and that's the reality. And uh, I think that's where, if I can just add, Kathy, is that I think that's where the academic side of things uh, in medicine has a significant disconnect with the reality of human nature and and true sort of practice life is that, you know, academically, we can say, well, everyone should just do it. Cuffs are widely available. They're relatively cheap. Everyone should just take their blood pressure three times a day. No question. Why is this an issue? Well, if you're standing in an isolation in an ivory tower somewhere, it's very easy to say that. It's very difficult to actually have people do that in real life. And anyone who practices medicine sort of in in real practice will understand that in you know, a second. So I think there's a major disconnect between where the guidelines are, where the quote unquote experts and stuff, you know, sort of recommend and what people actually do. So enter the world of wearables, enter the world of technology. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't know from the, the physician's end of it, but I'm sure that a lot of physicians are being pushed into a, a little bit, maybe of an uncomfortable, unknowing area when it comes to all this information. Um, I want you to maybe to tell us about the technology that Actia is putting out. But uh, just before that, you know, I have heard that the cuff is not the best way. I mean, it's it's the standard of care for taking blood pressure. But is there an issue with taking blood pressure by using the cuff versus some of the newer um, the newer ways to manage or to measure? I mean, I think the issues are so... Um... You know, the cuff has been around for a long time. In its current form, it's probably 60 years old. The technology that underpins all, you know, modern cuffs is about 110 years old. And what I would say after after being in in uh, in sort of having this industry role for a couple of years is that the cuff lacks what's called product market fit, meaning that it is a product that has been designed by scientists to get a point of data, but it is not really designed for real world use on a routine basis, just because of how cumbersome and sort of annoying it is. And to get an accurate cuff measurement to to tell to talk about accuracy is actually quite difficult. It's not the easiest thing to use. Um, and so to take an accurate cuff measurement, here are the steps someone needs to take if you actually want to be, you know, accurate with it is you have to uh, sit in a quiet room with your back against a chair, your feet against the floor, 
You have to have your upper arm at heart level. You have to not talk for five minutes. You have to not have eaten anything for three hours. You have to not have drank any alcohol for at least three to six hours. No caffeine for at least an hour. You do not have to exercise. You have to have an empty bowel, empty bladder, no clothing on your arm, no children in the room, and sit there for five minutes and do nothing. And then you can take a blood pressure measurement. And that's an accurate blood pressure measurement. If you've attached the cuff in the right place with the right tightness in the right position on your arm. Well, now, how often does that happen in real world? Um, You know, you can just imagine the number of ways to sort of get an inaccurate reading. But by and large, it's the only technology that's been out there. So it's good enough. And, And if used correctly, it does a reasonable job of getting you data at that one point in time. But you see what I mean when I say that it doesn't really have product market fit for the real world for common use for, you know, general population. Well, I, you know, I have a blood uh, blood pressure machine, it's just a tiny one, it's it's old. Um, and it it drops, I, I'll do it once and it drops 20, um, 20, I don't know what the technology is, 20 points if mm-hmm. I just do it again. So I have no idea, you know, which way to lean on that. <laughs> yeah, right. So well, yeah, what you're okay, developing anyway. now is a technology that people don't have to think about, right? That's right. So trying to eliminate the sources of friction uh, in the in the methods of and the way to measure blood pressure, and also to develop a technology that allows for consistent measurements of blood pressure over long periods of time. Because going back to our primary perspective is that blood pressure outside the normal range for long periods of time is what matters, not just one episodic reading on one minute of one day once. So trying to solve for multiple different problems and eliminate some of the friction, Actia has developed sort of a wearable type device. It is a class two medical device. It's not a consumer you know, electronics gadget, class two medical device, clinically validated and accurate, where you just have to put it on on your wrist like a bracelet and just wear it. And over the period of 24 hours, it takes on average about 27 blood pressure measurements. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sit in a position. You don't, the system kind of knows the optimal times to take measurements. And then it is designed for long-term use. So you can get blood pressure trends, not just one day, but over weeks, months, years now, we have people who have been wearing it over years. And so you can really start to see trends over that period of time, which is really gets at, again, our primary perspective um, about blood pressure. So is this something that is prescribed by a physician or you you said it's not sort of a consumer-based go to the... Yeah. The technology store and buy it no you i mean it's not a prescription based but you, so you can be so it is sold direct to consumer but it is sold directly only on our website and and with select partners we also have um uh agreements with many different types of uh healthcare organizations where they deploy the technology and we enable them with some software so they can track large populations of patients um and their blood pressure in one place uh, over, uh, you know, a long period of time. So, you know, it's, it's not prescription based, but it's it can be gotten directly from our uh, company, but also um, through healthcare organizations that participate, um, you know, and have partnerships with us. Is this something that's um, 
very tight against your wrist? Like, how does it work? No, it, it has to be roughly the same tightness as a watch. Um, and so the, there's a pod, a small, very thin sort of pod, which you can see on our website, um, sort of Swiss design, elegant and, and a small footprint where it doesn't have to be tight. And, and there's no cuff. There's nothing that squeezes your arm. There's a light, uh, two green LED lights and an optical sensor uh, that basically shine the light into your skin and get a reflection back. And those optical sensors pick up what are called optical waveforms. And then that data is sent through your phone to the cloud. And that's where our algorithm works on it and then delivers back blood pressure and heart rate, both back to your individual smartphone, as well as to, a, if you're connected with a healthcare organization that's using our software, goes directly to a healthcare organization as well, without you having to push anything, send anything, email fax, or do anything with that data. So there's no software to download on a phone. It's not uh, immediate an immediate it's a, number. It's a uh, it isn't. I mean, so the software is there's an app. So there's an app based to the phone component, um, and then the data comes back into your app. Okay. Um, yeah. So you can read it, uh, you know, in a timely fashion. As soon as you open the app, you'll get all the readings up to the up to the moment that you open the phone that you open the app. How many people would you say are using the technology right now? Across Europe, we have regulatory approval across the EU and UK. We have about 50,000. We just passed 50,000 active users. And not in the States yet? Not in the States yet. We're engaged with the FDA, um, which is a more conservative body uh, in this regard. And so we're engaged with them. We hope to be in the States in the next year or so. So if someone was interested, they could buy this and use the information themselves. Do you think that it will translate if they brought this information into their physicians? At this point, we have we have number of uh, large quantities of patients who are doing exactly that across Europe. And so, um, you know, there is a there is a printable PDF on the app. You can get a PDF um, report to share with anyone like and attach it to an email or attach it to an electronic medical record. So we have lots of patients who are doing exactly that. Now, would you say that it should be worn you know, for the rest of your life, or can you know someone who likes to wear a watch um, wear it? A, you know, two weeks at a time, a month at yeah. a time. It for a- yeah, it kind of depends on the on the on the exact reason that that person is using it. Um, so, like for example, if if somebody is you know has hypertension and wants to really look at their blood pressure over long periods of time and is trying different uh, interventions, then that person you know ideally would be wearing it continuously you know, for months uh, or years. Um, if there's a person that says, well, I, you know, like someone who has white coat hypertension or thinks they might have white coat hypertension, which means that you go into the doctor's office and your blood pressure is always high, but that's because you feel nervous. And at home, when you check it, it seems normal. That's about 35% of people who, you know, have, might have white coat hypertension. So for those people, you know, sometimes you could probably get the data you need after maybe two to four weeks of use of Actia you get a good enough number of uh, data points and you can make a decision. Look, my blood pressure at home is truly in the normal range or actually, no, it's not. And I actually do have a elevation of my blood pressure. Um, you can get that pretty quickly within, I would say two to four weeks, four weeks would be good um, given the numbers of data points you get. Well, you know, at this point in time with where it is approved and where it's not approved, the, the real 
thing that I see with this technology is it gives you a direct feedback. And as you mentioned, if you are trying to implement lifestyle changes to bring down blood pressure, it will give you a feedback if that is working. It also gives you a background knowledge when it comes to discussion with your physician about the topic of medication. Because I, I think the more we understand what's going on with our bodies, the more we can um, you know, navigate that conversation. So at the very least, it's a wonderful technology to get us to know ourselves. And I think even without regulation here in Canada and in the States, it's it's a brilliant piece to, to have in place if this is something that is of a concern to you and, you know, not even a concern to you, you should know, right? Absolutely. And so just on that point, Kathy, we are actually approved in Canada and Australia and New Zealand. We just haven't, haven't yet. So the, we have health Canada's approval. We just haven't yet put in place the logistics uh, to actually start deploying, you know, and selling commercially in Canada, which hopefully will be done in by early to mid next year. But, but I think to your point, is is very well taken is that not only does it give you the knowledge to empower you to have those conversations with yourself and physicians but also for the first time you can start to see what are the real individual effects of any intervention on your blood pressure whereas with a cuff and traditionally it's quite difficult to see what is making a difference? What's not making a difference? And this is always a challenge with lifestyle interventions in particular, and even medications too. They're relatively standard across the board. We recommend the same six or seven lifestyle interventions. We recommend the same four main categories of medications for pretty much everybody, irrespective and and really not knowing how that individual, that one individual person is going to respond to any of them. And so that's a real failing right now of how the evidence has been generated in medicine and how we make those recommendations. Well, I think one of the place of these sort of wearables, truly clinical validated wearables is to start giving people their individual data to allow them to understand which individual, uh, which interventions makes a difference to them and what doesn't make a difference and what should they focus on and what doesn't need as much focus. So I think that is the real, one of the real values of this. Absolutely. Um, where can people go and look, find out information and perhaps purchase um, yeah. one of the devices? So on our website's the best place. That's where all the information is, is www.actia.com. And in the, in the markets where we have regulatory approval, you can purchase in the markets where it's coming, like in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you can get on the wait list. You can sign up for email ad- um, updates. And then on all social media channels, it's at Actia Global. Um, and you can follow us there as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Shaw. This has been a wonderful show. Very informative. Really a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. It's great to be here. Everybody, we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub.
You have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.